I still think that's so much fun. Um, welcome to our final week of standouts. Again, my name is Dion. I want to welcome all of you who are in the room, all of you who are joining us online too. Um, I, I'm not going to, I won't kid you today that um, before I was ever a parent, before I was ever a father, before I was ever even married, I had made a decision, a commitment that I was going to raise children who would be standouts. Before I had ever met my wife, before I ever got married, uh, you know, I was like, this, this is what I'm going to do. And then I met my wife, Jocelyn. Uh, we got married. And um, Jocelyn has is, is got a different view of life. Jocelyn is a belonger. She's someone who really values connection. And when she meets someone new, she's, she's looking for how, um, you know, you're, you're similar and how you might connect. And she's looking for threads of connection. And I'm a differentiator. Uh, she's a connector. I'm a differentiator. I'm always looking for how we're different. Um, how we can do that. And so we, we approach parenting very differently for that reason. She's always trying to help our kids belong and feel connected and look for threads of commonality with other people. And I'm like, belong? Why bother teaching them to belong? Because when you're great, everybody hates you anyway. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Um, by the way, I tell my kids all the time that they are really, really lucky that they have their mother in their life. Uh, it would be a disaster if I was raising them alone. Uh, and so because I wanted to raise standouts, I decided that there would be no better place to begin with raising a standout than by giving them a name that would stand out. Now, how many of you have been through naming a baby somewhat recently or maybe uh, been with someone as they've done that? Yeah, it's a really stressful process, I find, because you're picking a name that will define a kid for life. It'll be their name for life. And, and there are all these names out there and all these baby name books, and it's, it's really, really stressful. And then when you finally pick a name that you like, inevitably what happens... You meet some holy terror of a child with the same name, and you're like, well, that's over. We're not doing that. Back to the drawing board. So uh, when Jocelyn and I were picking names, we kind of went at it different ways because uh, we kind of had a different, a different bent. And uh, when our firstborn or our first child was expected, we knew it was going to be a girl. And uh, Jocelyn settled in pretty quickly on the name Ellie. She loved the name Ellie. And I thought, that's a pretty name, but it's way too common for one of my kids. Like there'll be five kids in her kindergarten class named Ellie. We're not doing that. And so I went to a baby name book and I was looking through the baby name book and I found the name Eliana. And I know a little bit of Hebrew, so I know Eliana means my God answers. And I thought, now, there's a name. My God answers. Like, that's what I want my daughter to know. That's what I want to define her is that her God hears her. He'll answer her. What, that's, that's a great name. Further, I could just imagine in my mind the moment when she was an adult and she walks out on the stage as a concert pianist for her grand opening at you know, Carnegie Hall or whatever, them announcing Eliana Garrett. And I'm going, that's a name of a future standout. So um, we engineered this win-win. We would name her Eliana. We could call her Ellie. So far, Jocelyn's winning because everyone calls her Ellie, not Eliana, but that's okay uh, because we, uh, we, we came to terms on that. Now, with our second-born child, also a daughter, we've settled pretty quickly both on the name Aria. Now, Aria is a name from opera. It's a musical term. It's a you know, beautiful, lush song that a soprano sings. It's really showy. And I, I fell in love with the name. It's a pretty name. But I thought, man, yeah, that's it. That's, that's, that's the name for my sure-to-be superstar daughter, uh, Aria. That's what we're going to do. And by this time, in 2005, there was a new resource to help or you know, further paralyze parents as they're trying to name their kids. There was a new website called the Baby Name Wizard or the name Voyager. I don't know if you've, you've seen it. Um, it. It helps you track the popularity of a name over time. So uh, we put in Aria back in 2005. We put Aria into it. And back in 2005, we discovered that Aria had never been a very popular name. It was becoming a little more popular, but there were about 100 girls born every year out of every million, 100 out of a million 
that's not many, who had the name Arya. And so he said, you know, great, it's rare enough. I don't know any Arya's. She's sure to stand out. She's sure to be unique. Now you see what happened after 2005. Either we are incredible trendsetters that we don't realize or everyone had the same idea. But in 10 years, this name increased in popularity tenfold. 2005, we named her Aria, less than 100. By uh, 2015, it became the 17th most popular girl's name that year. I can't tell you how annoyed I am about this whole thing. So frustrating for me. I feel like my whole attempt is, is foiled, but, but Arya, she's still a standout. Uh, then we had our third born. We found out he was going to be a son. We said, forget trying to outsmart the naming thing. We're going to go with a great family name. So we named him Corbin. And uh, that name is kind of bumped around in terms of popularity. And it's, it's a good name for him. Now, for me, it was pretty clear that if I wanted to raise kids who were different, who were who unique, kids who would stand out, it all started with give them, giving them a name that was different, a name that was unique, a name that would cause them to stand out. Why? Because I believe names are powerful, that they have power. And I'm informed on in this because of how I read the scriptures. Throughout the scriptures, you'll see that names are prophetic, not pathetic, some of them are, but prophetic. They, they speak a reality over children, so children often grow to become what their names suggest. So much so that you see God, often throughout the scriptures, when a significant child is going to be born, a child who has a special purpose, God will not only announce that this child is special, but God himself will dictate the name of the kid. He'll say, you're going to have a child, he or she's going to do great things, and by the way, this is the name that you must give to them because God knows that names have power. Names become prophetic. Not only that, but we also see throughout scripture again and again, God looking at someone and calling them into a new purpose. And when he calls them into a new purpose, he changes their name. You might know of some uh, really famous examples of all of this. Um, Take a look. Abram, we know that, uh, if, if maybe you've never heard of Abram, you've heard of this guy, Abraham. First, his name was Abram. For 80 years, he was named Abram, and that means exalted father. But the problem was, he was childless. He didn't have any kids, so he wasn't exactly an exalted father. God appears to him, says, don't worry, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Changes the name to Abraham, adds a syllable. Changes the name to Abraham, but this means father of many, and God accomplished it. Changes his name at 80 years old. His wife, Sarai, a similar story, changed to Sarah. Um, in the New Testament... Maybe you know this one. There was a guy named Simon, Simon, son of John. He was a follower of Jesus. And, um, and, and Jesus looked at him and, and one day changed his name to Peter. Now in Greek, Peter, Petros means rock. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of a neat name. Like, hey, you're, you're, you're going to be this rock. Um, but in Aramaic, I'm told, and I don't know Aramaic, uh, but in Aramaic, I'm told that Petros means firstborn. So it's kind of this, this double entendre thing going on that, yeah, you're this rock that I'm going to build my church on, but you're also the firstborn because Peter was the first guy to profess that Jesus was the Christ. And, and Jesus' way of saying, hey, you're, you're going to be the firstborn of many. And, and then throughout the rest of the New Testament, for the most part, it's no longer Simon, it's, it's Peter. We maybe know that um, Saul's name was changed to Paul. We're not sure God's role in that, but that was an, another remarkable name change. And what we see is we see throughout the scriptures, God is willing to violate people's history, their heritage, the will of their parents in order to give them a new name for a new season. And sometimes, you know, this, this, this it, for, for me, I'm kind of a purist when it comes to names. You don't change your name. This confuses me and frustrates me because I think your name is your identity. Your name is who you are. And I, I think that's the exact reason that God so often chooses to change someone's name. 
Because who you've been, who you were, is not who God is calling you to be in your next chapter. Now, that's probably never been truer of, you know, all these are examples. It's probably never been truer in the Bible than of a man by the name of Jacob. And I don't know if you know much of Jacob's story. Old Testament guy, way, way, way a long time ago. Jacob was, um, was a twin. And in his mother's womb, he and his twin brother, um, there was like this ongoing wrestling match between the two of them. And it, and it it scared his mother so badly that she went and she saw a prophet one day and the prophet said, the, the thing is, is that you don't just have two children in there, you have two nations warring against each other, jockeying for position in there. And, it, and it's true because when, they became, when it became time, when it came time for them to be born, um, one of the children was born first. He was kind of reddish in skin tone and, and, uh, and so they named him Esau, which kind of means red. <laughs> That's inventive, right? Um, and, uh, and, and right after Esau comes out, if you know the story, come, comes out the next baby. And do you remember what he's doing as he's being born? Do you remember what he's doing? I'm giving you a clue. He, he's holding on. He's grabbing on to his brother's heel. Kind of like, oh, no, you don't. You're not getting out first. Because to be firstborn meant you were entitled to certain rights and privileges to inheritance and all kinds of other things. And so, and so the second-born child is grabbing onto his brother's ankle as he's born. And so they name him Jacob, which means uh, something like he grasps at the heel. And this becomes not just kind of a, a, an odd name, but this becomes Jacob's way of life. As he grows into, his man, uh, grows into a man, he's, he's a guy who's constantly willing to, to trip people up in order to get ahead. And so he swindles his brother out of his birthright. His brother thinks he's joking. He's not joking. He swindles him out of that. He cheats his father, his, his blind and sick father one day, and he tries to convince his father that he's his older brother, and he has his father speak a blessing over him, basically making him uh, the, the heir um, and, and tr- tricks his father. He tricks his father-in-law and plunders a bunch of his herds, and that's a whole long story. And, and so Jacob finds himself kind of, you know, middle, midlife, and he's got a big family, and he's wealthy, and he's got everything he could ever want. But he's a man without a country. Because any way he goes, there's someone that he has deceived. Someone that he has swindled. Someone who's waiting to kill him. And so he kind of finds himself with, with no place to go. And he knows eventually it's time for him to go back home. To go back to his homeland and to face his brother. His brother that he's cheated a few times. Uh, but he's terrified. Because his brother's bigger and stronger and his, he's sure his brother wants to kill him. Uh, and so Jacob, he, he gets ready to go back into the, to his homeland and um, he, he sends his wives and his children and all of his possessions on ahead of him, kind of to be human shields. And then he spends the night on the other side of the river that divides his homeland from uh, a foreign land and, and, he just, and he just waits there. And God uses this opportunity to um, have a talk with Jacob about the way that he's been living, about, about how he's conducted himself, about all the things that he's done in his life. God's going to have a face-to-face with Jacob to help him move into his next chapter. But God's going to talk to Jacob the way men talk. They're going to wrestle. So we're going to look at it. Genesis chapter 32. And if you don't know that that's how men talk, you've never had sons or boys in your house because, man, you leave boys alone for five minutes and they're wrestling. It's just crazy. Uh, Genesis 32 is where we're going. Page 34 in your Bibles. Look along at the screen. It says, that night, the night before he met his brother, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons. That just makes me tired reading it. 
um, you know, big family, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Again, he's doing this human shield thing, like, my brother may want to kill me, but surely he won't hurt a woman or hurt children, or you know, he'll, he'll be wild by my possessions and want them instead of killing me. And so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, I know this is weird. Just out of nowhere, this, this rex wrestler comes. It's like Nacho Libre, you know, touring the, touring the uh, whatever. And, but what we discover later is that this man is actually uh, probably a, a manifestation of God or an angel. This is not just any man. And the reason he shows up to wrestle with Jacob is because, remember, since the time he was in the womb, Jacob's been wrestling with people, trying to, trying to get ahead, trying to get over on people. And so now in this kind of this, this divine turnabout, uh, Jacob finds himself in a wrestling match with God. It says, when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, which is kind of weird. I mean, you think if you're wrestling with an angel, surely the angel can win. And what we see is that God is kind of playing with Jacob. But what we also see is that Jacob knows he's in the fight of his life here. And Jacob is scrappy. He's learned this over the course of his life, but he's also terrified to go and meet his brother. He knows that if he's about to go and meet his brother, he needs, he needs help. He needs, he needs some favor here. So he's not going to be overpowered easily. And so they're, they're, you know, they're, they're locked in this dead heat. It's a stalemate. Uh, but the angel touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. And he walks away with a limp as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, Jacob realizes so much is at stake. And he's going, man, maybe this is my chance. If you bless me, if if you can speak a blessing over me, then maybe I can go back home and it's going to end up okay with me. Because right now I don't see a way out of this. This seems no matter which way I look at it, it's going to end in disaster. And so the man asked him, what is your name? Customary part of blessing. If I'm going to bless you, what is your name? Uh, it's deeper than that, though. What is your name? Jacob, he answered. You see, the last time a blessing was hanging in the balance and Jacob was asked his name, he lied. He was in front of his blind father and he was pretending to be his older brother in order to steal the inheritance. So he said, what is your name? And he lied. He said, I'm Esau. And he stole the blessing from his brother. This time, uh, he's asked by this divine being, what is your name? And, and something has changed in Jacob. Maybe it's because he's realized that he's burned all of his bridges. Maybe it's because he's tired of running. Uh, but Jacob, he, he answers honestly this time. He says, Jacob, Jacob's my name. Which I think means that Jacob is worn out. And he's ready to own up, not just to who he is, what his name is, but he's ready to, he's ready to own up to all that he's been, all that he's done. See, God, in our lives at different moments, and maybe a moment like this is coming for you, maybe you've had a moment like this recently, um, I, there'll be a moment like this in your life. God, at certain occasions, gives us these opportunities to wrestle with him and, and really to own up with, to come clean about who we've been and what we've done. Uh, I don't know if you've had a moment like this yet. Again, I I promise you, you will at some point. But they're really, they're powerful moments for us. Moments to 
to admit that what has worked for us in the past, what maybe has gotten us ahead in life, what has caused us to be successful, what has caused us to thrive, maybe that thing, maybe we're realizing that that thing is not healthy, it's not life-giving, it's not godly, and God gives us moments to acknowledge that, just to say, hey, this, this has worked for me, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure that this is good for me, I'm not sure that I want to be defined by this anymore. Or sometimes it's not even that what we've done is godly or, or wrong in any way. Sometimes it's just that, that what's worked for us in the past isn't working for us anymore. And we're afraid to let it go and we don't know why it's not working. And, and God gives us this opportunity just to lay that thing down, to surrender it. And to say, hey, this, this is what's worked for me in the past, but, but it seems like I'm at a brand new season. See, in your life, God will give you these moments, just like he gives Jacob, where you have to own up to, you have to admit, you have to lay down what has worked for you in the past, either because it's bad and it's ungodly or it's just not working anymore and it's time for something new. And you have to be willing to do this if you want to have any kind of future. See, God's desire for us is to bring us into a new future, but in order to do that, we sometimes have to lay down the reality of our past and we just have to get honest before God. Now, I have a hunch that as I talk about this, there's some specific things that are coming to mind for you. And Jacob knew what this moment was about for him. It was about all those people that he tripped up and swindled and tricked and deceived to get ahead. He knew that he could not go on living that way. For you, I think you know what this is about for you. And the thing that makes these moments so scary, the reason that we tend to shy away from them and and we don't want to yield, we don't want to surrender, is because either, man, that's been the key to our success, or we're just so afraid of what God will say or do if we get honest, if we own up to who we've been or what we've done. But today I want to show you that in those moments, those moments are great opportunities for us just to come clean with God, to lay it down, and to allow God to do something great. Look what God does for Jacob. Jacob owns up. You know, what's your name? And Jacob's not usually honest about these things, but, but he owns up. He says, Jacob, I'm the guy who trips other people up to get ahead. That's, that's who I've been my whole life. And, uh, and, and the man said, the angel said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Man, both scary, terrifying, and freeing. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. And, and the name Israel means something like he struggles with God. Your name will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Your name is going to change this very day. No longer will you be known as Jacob. And, and a few times people call him Jacob throughout the scriptures, but this becomes his name. And, and now we know there's a whole nation of people and there's, a, there's an ethnicity of people descended from not necessarily Jacob, the Jacobites, but they're, they're Israel. And so this name change, it, it sticks. It becomes a thing all throughout time. but it becomes a thing in Jacob's life too. God's saying, Jacob, your days of wrestling with people to get ahead, they're over. And now if you want to find blessing, you're going to find it with me. You're going to wrestle with me. And I'm going to be the source of blessing from, from here on in your life. See, this isn't just true of Jacob, but this is, this is something God absolutely wants to do for you. Today, as, as you uh, maybe have an opportunity just to own up and, and lay down whatever's worked for you in the past, bad or good, what, whatever it has been, and to invite God to give you a new future, here's, here's what I can tell you, that, that God is in the business of speaking new life and new purpose for a new season over us. And as we lay down and relinquish 
what is in the past. This is why Jesus came, right? So, so that we could be free from the things that are in our past so that those things could be forgiven and take away so that, taken away so that we could become a new creation with a new identity. See, this is what God longs to do for you today. He longs to speak over you a new word, a new purpose, to bring you into a new season. And sometimes that actually means giving you a new name. Now, throughout this series, uh, we've been looking at ways that we can stand out as a church. Uh, We've been talking about things like unconditional acceptance and having a true-to-life approach, not just getting caught up in highfalutin theology, but staying anchored in in the reality of life, Uh, being people who are about inspiring connections, connecting people to what they need most, and ultimately being on a God-directed journey where God is calling the shots and we're listening to him, and and we're not just following the crowd, but but we're we're, we're listening to God and we're doing that together, but we're also doing that in our own journey. And we've been talking about about these things as ways that we can stand out. And these things have emerged for us, and I've talked to you about this some, as a result of research that we started started two years ago in our community, we wanted to go out to our community and to people who don't go to church in our community, and we wanted to understand better what are the things, the barriers that get in the way of you attending church, and what are the things that you're hungry for, that if a church stood for these things or offered these things, you would reconsider going to church. And then we also wanted to know, and what do you know about our church? What do you know about St. John? What do you... Do we stand out or do you not even know us? And if we stand out, do we stand out in ways that we want to stand out or do we stand out in the wrong ways? And, and so we started research a couple of years ago where we asked all of these questions. And then as a result of this research, I've got some good news and some bad news. Which do you want first? Bad news. Bad news. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I've got to overrule you. Um, <laughs> uh, gosh, I'm a, I'm a grace before law person. I thought you might be the same. Um, but... Uh, I want to give you the good news first. Let me tell you the good news. The good news is that as we sat these people down, unchurched people in our community, one of the first things we did is we said, hey, just talk to us about what an ideal church would look like for you. And we, uh, we listened to that, and um, we took notes, and we put together a list of the top answers. And I want you to look at, at these answers now. They're kind of small, but people said things like inclusive, welcoming, accepting, no judgment, accepting of all, feeling connected to others so not too large, brings the community together, committed to helping others in the local community, messages are personally relevant, grounded in the Bible, yet meaningful for today, a balance of traditional and sacred elements along with modern elements, relaxed and casual, not stuffy or rigid, uh, programs to engage children and teens. I don't know about you, does that sound like a church you know? Anyone else see this as good news? Yeah, I mean, so, so we sat them down. We said, tell us about your dream church. And, and man, they described this church. Praise God for that, yeah? Yeah. Someone took it literally. Praise God, that's right. Uh, then we took it a step further and we said, all right, now let's actually tell you about our church. And uh, we, we told them about who we are, some of the messages that you've been hearing through this series. And we said, hey, this, this is who we are. And, and the reaction was so encouraging. People leaned forward and they're like, wow, we, di- we didn't know. Uh, in fact, let me show you what a couple of people said. Someone said, I think of churches like the crossing or the journey as being more progressive and accepting. So realizing there are others out there like this, that came as a surprise to me. Someone else said, I'd be more interested in attending St. John after reading all this, all these, all these statements about who we actually are. Because it makes it sound not as formal. I always thought Lutheran churches were really formal. Anyone else think that? Yeah, I grew up that way. So yeah, I mean, that's, that was my thought. 
Um, and and so, so just, just, just the good news is when people could understand who we really are at our core, unchurched people, if people don't go to church, they were like, I'm interested. I'm hungry for that. Now the bad news. The bad news is uh, as we tried to find out, like, how do we stand out in the community? We discovered that we, we don't stand out very well. Uh, we discovered, in fact, that a lot of things that people can know about us quickly and easily without a conversation, like our name, the, the way our campus looks, those kinds of things, just um, that those things actually worked against, they, they planted doubt in people's minds about all the rest that they heard. And, and so, so to just be really clear on this, deep down who we are is a church that's not just good for you, good for your family, good for the people who come here with you. It's a church that's good for a lot of people who aren't going to church. It's a place where they could get connected in a life-giving relationship with Jesus where the church that they're hungry for, but they don't know it. They don't understand. And so um, this, this was over two years ago. We did this research, and, and, uh, and so I started wrestling with this, and I wrestled with it on my own for about a year. And then after a year, we called together a brand advisory team. Some of these people, um, you, you'll know, they're maybe sitting around you. I see some of them here today. People from our church to wrestle with me through all of this. And we wrestled through uh, this research, and we said, we, we have to be clear about who we are. And we got a staff team together, too, who did some of this work. And, and one of the first things we did is we created a brand. Uh, it's called a brand house, saying, how do, how do we want to be known? What's true about us? And what is also a way that we can describe ourselves in a way that people will be attracted, not put off? How, how, do, how do we talk about ourselves in a way that's compelling? And so we put this all together and it, it's a lot of stuff. But, um, but we said these pillars are really important that we want people to understand that we're a people of unconditional acceptance with a true-to-life approach where we inspire connections on a God-directed journey. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Yeah, and the reason we've been talking to you about these things is because this is language I really hope that you own and you make your own. So when you invite someone and say, I want you to come to my church and they go, what kind of church is it or what it's like? You say, man, man, it's a place of unconditional acceptance with a true to life approach where we we inspire people to make connections with the things they need most. And we're all about a God-directed journey. We're not about telling you what to do, but we're about getting you connected with the one who can lead you on a journey. And his journey for you is beautiful and unique and, and, and that's what we're about. See, if, if you can do that, if, if you can help describe us better, because people don't know, they don't understand, then uh, here's what we know. We've done research. People go, wow, that's interesting. See, you're a huge part of helping us be known for who we really are, not who we appear to be. But we kept wrestling with the uh, brand advisory team because there was this one other part of this that just wouldn't go away. And that was, how does our name relate to this? When you put our name at the top, St. John at the top, does it say, and does it describe not for us, but for other people, people who don't know us, everything that's beneath it? Now, before you answer that for yourself, I want to show you a couple things. Um, there are surveys done and there, there are you know, registries where all this stuff is recorded. Uh, if you look at the most common church names in all of America, take a guess what the 15th most common church name in all of America is. Um, it's St. John's, uh, St. John's Lutheran Church. 601 churches with that exact name in America. Now, if you strip away the denominational affiliation, if you just look at churches with uh, saint names, there are 3,700 St. John of any stripe variety churches around. And we actually discovered this in our focus groups that when we talked about our church, there was a lot of confusion for people. 
Um, Because there are more than one St. John in West County. There's more than one St. John in St. Louis. And and people were kind of confused about which St. John we were talking about. Worse, there were lots of people who just, whenever they hear saint, whatever you say after that, they blank out. Uh, One person said this. They said, not having been raised Catholic, every saint is the same to me. And she was just really honest, like, I don't even know the difference. They all just blend in. And so there were moments where someone was going, no, 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 you're talking about, I think you're talking about St. Joe's or St. Clair's. And people were like, oh, because it all just blended in. Now, now just take those 3,700, not even the rest of the saint names, the 3,700 St. John's that exist in the United States. If you're a person who has had an experience with one of those churches, if you've gone to one of those churches or, or maybe you knew something about that church, you had a friend who went to that church and it wasn't a good experience, what do you think the chances are that you would give a church with the same name another try? More than that, In those 3,700 other churches named St. John, how many do you think, just gander a guess, how many do you think look, feel, act, talk, anything like us? And so we find ourselves in this position as we've wrestled uh, with, with all of this. And, and frankly, I feel like I've, I've been living on the fords of the Jabbok River for the last couple of years. And I've been wrestling with what, what I feel God is calling us to do, but being timid and being afraid about fully committing to it and crossing over. But, but what, I, what I feel is that I feel God is calling us to embrace a new name. Now, I know for some of you that's crazy, that's blasphemy, and I don't blame you because it's crazy for me too. I was saddled with this name Dion at birth. I've never liked it, but I've learned to make good on it. And I've, I've just, you know, this is me. This is my name. I'm going to live with it. And so I kind of have a really conservative view when it comes to names. You just don't change your name. Your name's part of who you are. You just, you just live with it. Your name is your name is your name. But in my last couple of years of wrestling, here's what, here's what I've realized. That that's how I see names. That's not how God sees names. Remember, we're talking about a God who, who is like, Abram, now you're Abraham. Sarai, now get away with that. You're, you're Sarah. Simon, no, you're Peter. Saul, you're Paul. Jacob, you're Israel. They're name after name after name where God goes, I've got a new name for you because I'm calling you into a new season and that name doesn't suit you anymore. See, I've realized that my perspective on the name thing is not God's perspective. He's a lot freer. He's a lot looser when it comes to names. Not only that, but you know what I've realized? That in our history, our founders were probably a lot freer and looser with names than most of us sitting in this room. Uh, Back in 1851, this church was founded, 1851, and the name at the time was the Evangelische Lutherische Eintrachtsgemeinde. Don't judge my German because I don't know if I said that right. That was our name, 1851. This is who we are. 1878, 27 years into our existence... Uh, some of the people must have looked around and said, you know, if we keep calling ourselves Evangelische Lutherische Eintrachtsgemeinde, people are going to think that you have to be German to come here. Or at least you have to know German, you have to speak it. And they said, but you know, we, we don't want to be a church just for German people. We want to be a church for, for anyone. So after 27 years of, of, of existing as Evangelische Lutherische Eintrachtsgemeinde, 1878, our founder said, we want to be a church for everyone. And so they changed their name. They said, we're now going to be St. John's Lutheran Church. Wow, I mean, talk about visionary. 
I think even that, that's what makes this church so different. Most churches who made the same change didn't do it until the 20s or the 30s. We did this in 1878 because there were people who had the foresight to know that, that we know who we are. It's not about us knowing who we are. It's about making sure we have a name, an identity that speaks to the people that we want to yet come in. And so here we are. And I'm here today to tell you that um, through all of this wrestling, we are going together over the next several months, we are going to explore a name change. And again, I, I know that freaks some of you out and I, I don't blame you. It freaks me out too. And I've been wrestling with this for a couple of years. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give this some space first. Uh, next week is, is a Palm Sunday weekend and we move into Holy Week and we're going to spend some time just focusing on Jesus and what he's done and being caught up in the gift that God gave us through Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And, and that's, that's just where we're going to dwell and that's where we're going to live. And we're going to celebrate his resurrection and what that means for us and the new life that means for us and for this whole world. And, and that's where we're going to put our minds and our hearts. And, and through that time, you'll have time just to process and pray and, and think about this more deeply. And, and then after Easter, we're going to come back and we're going we're gonna to share with you more of the process and we're going to answer more of your questions. But, but I know that right now there are already some questions that you have in mind. And, and one of the questions is, come on, Dion, we know you already have the name. <laughs> and I don't. I promise you, I promise you, I don't have the name. I don't even have a short list of names yet. There's a long process we're going to go through before we ever even get there. Uh, to that end, I don't even get to pick the name. Um, our congregation gets to, and there are procedures in our constitution about voting and some other things that that'll be a part of our process too. If you're sitting here today and wondering, are we ever going to have a say in this? Yeah, you're going to have a say. Our process is going to give you a chance to give input. And ultimately, uh, we're going to have to make a decision on this whole thing together. And uh, some of you, you're saying, man, can the decision be no name change? Well, that's, that's up to you. And, and I think that would be the wrong decision, but hey, we'll decide that together. Uh, not only that, we're going to give our community a greater voice in this. And because again, we know who we are. It's not for us that we're doing this. It's for people outside. And so we want to make sure we have a name that communicates to them what we think it's important for them to know. And so you're going to have input. The community is going to have input. Uh, and I know right now we're just going to sit in this, that there's a lot that's still unknown. And that's okay. We'll make it clear as we go. But in the meantime, here's what I do know. I know that we're at a new season here. I, I can feel it. I can see it all around that, that God doesn't, he won't give up on this 167-year-old church. And right now he's calling us into a new season with a renewed purpose and a renewed vision. And, and I've just come to be convinced that as a part of that, we're, we're to embrace a new name that he's going to reveal to us in time. I, I, further, I know that while people are moving away from other churches and moving away from Jesus, I know that people are moving toward Jesus through our church. I see it every weekend. And that's so beautiful and rare. And, and, and I know that's true and it's powerful. And I know, I know now that our name gets in the way for too many people, that it is a barrier. It is a, it is a stumbling block. It communicates the wrong things about us and it, it keeps more people from coming. And I know that it's now is the time. Now is the time in our life. This is the season. This is the moment where we have to wrestle with all of this. And I know that wrestling isn't easy. Jacob walked away limping. Some of us may walk away limping. I hope I don't walk away limping too bad, but you know what? Here's what I know. If we're wrestling with God, we may walk away limping, but we're gonna walk away blessed. It's gonna be for our good. And, And last, you know what I know? 
I know that whatever we do, we are not called to blend in, to be hidden, to be invite only. Because Jesus said, no one puts a lamp uh, under a bowl. But when you light a lamp, you put, you put, it, you put it high so that everyone can see it. And, and a city on a hill, it's not built so that it can be hidden. It's, it's built so that everyone can see it. And, and Paul says, you are called to shine like stars in the universe as you hold to the word of life. See, I know whatever we do, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us, God has called us to be standouts. And I don't know about you, but I, I am willing, and I know I'm putting myself on the line here big time this weekend, I am willing to lay everything down that has been good or bad, that has defined us, that has, you know, for good or bad, I'm willing to lay it all down in order to let God speak something over us for the sake of our future. I hope you're willing to do that too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you've got new life for us that uh, for us as a 167-year-old church, you just don't give up on us. And you're bringing new life and new direction for this new day. Thank you for that, that we've not become a museum to the past, but this is an ongoing place of life change. Father, I thank you personally that as a, as a 41-year-old guy, that I'm not locked in to who I've been or what I've done, my successes or my failures. I'm so grateful that you want to speak a new word over me, a new name over me. You, you constantly want to call me into a new adventure, a new season, a new purpose. Father, as people, as a church, give us the courage to lay everything down, lay it open before you, and to let you speak something new over us, no matter what. I pray this in Jesus. Amen.